Welcome to Health or Consequences, Commonwealth Magazine's podcast dedicated to healthcare and public health issues. I'm one of the co-hosts, Paul Hatta, Senior Fellow of the Lowen Institute, here with my colleague, John McDonough of the T.H. Chan School of Public Health at Harvard. Uh, today's program is going to be more focused on the public health side, and we're delighted to have with us Carlene Pavlos, who's the Executive Director of the Massachusetts Public Health Association. And Carlene comes to that role um, now in, in, in that role since 2018, having spent uh, many, many years at, at the state's Department of Public Health. And her last position there was as the uh, Director of the Division of Bureau of Community Health and Prevention. Now we're sitting down in late February in a tumultuous week where just today, uh, Russian troops uh, are going over the border into Ukraine. Earlier this week, the world lost a giant in public health and, and Massachusetts in, in particular in the, in the sudden death of Paul Farmer of Partners in Health. So uh, we're all a little bit on edge and, and, and very sad, but uh, like like anybody in the health healthcare world, you know, life goes on, and we turn to you, Carlene, and welcome you to join us today for a discussion. So, thanks so much for having me, Paul and John. It's really good to be here with both of you today. Well, Carlene, you know, we're now two years into the COVID nineteen pandemic, and uh, from your vantage point as executive director of the Mass Public Health Association, how do you assess the state of public health? in Massachusetts, and in particular, sort of a wide-ranging question, but your view of the leadership in the Commonwealth, Governor Baker, Secretary Sutters, the Department of Public Health, the legislature, uh, what's your perspective on how they've been doing in dealing with this pandemic now, two years old? Well, so before launching into that, Paul, I think it's so important that you just talked about the context that we're in. Yes, we are sitting here at a time when Russia has just launched its invasion of Ukraine. We're also sitting here in a week where we have lost a giant, not just for Massachusetts, but for the world in the death of Paul Farmer. We also are sitting here in a week where um, we have crossed the 22,500 mark for deaths from COVID just in Massachusetts alone. And that is a number that's a little bit hard to grasp that I don't think that we take in what the magnitude of that enough. Um, and imagine the impact that that has had on individuals and families across this state that as they've struggled with that kind of personal loss. Um, many in some communities losing multiple friends and family members to this novel coronavirus. So it's also, it's also really important that we recognize that those deaths haven't hit communities equally, right? Race, and economic status and city or town in which people live, all of those things have really shaped the pattern of this pandemic in Massachusetts, not to mention the country as a whole. And so it's important that we recognize that and talk about that when we are, are asking ourselves, like, what's the state of public health in the midst of this pandemic? Um, I think that 
it's also like one of the things that we have learned is that years of disinvestment and underinvestment in public health has consequences. That's one thing we, that we've learned during COVID that our fractured, inefficient and inequitable local public health system has left us unprepared um, and having to build critical response infrastructure in real time. The other reality I think that's been reinforced by this pandemic is that when public health system, systems and plans are built without centering equity from the start, that the results will be, this is not surprising, inequitable. So that racism and poverty and xenophobia, all these forms of oppression and other forms have shaped this pandemic and also been deepened by this pandemic. Um, these are root causes of health inequity in Massachusetts generally, and they need to be talked about in any conversation where we're talking about the state of public health. So I also want to say that I think what's really important about your question is that we don't want to look back at what has happened to find mistakes for the purpose of blame, blame and recrimination, right? But we do need to learn from what we did and what we didn't do so that we can build a new future for public health. Um, and from my perspective, what needs to happen is that we have to start to listen to community leader, leaders to learn more deeply about what the successes and failures have been to the pandemic response from the perspective of people in communities that were hardest hit by it, so that they those voices can contribute to the blueprint for the future. Um, now, just, just one more point about that, um, which is that, that because of COVID, I think there is an increased public understanding about why public health is critical. And that therefore is gonna provide us with a springboard to really reimagine public health in Massachusetts and create a 21st century public health system that does center equity so that every resident of the Commonwealth can share in equity and prosperity and health and health. So I think, I, I do think that there is a lot that we, that we have learned from this pandemic about the poor state of public health infrastructure, but I also think that there's a lot that we've learned about in this pandemic that is going to help us shape that for the future, and I'm I'm excited about that. So this is John McDonough, Carlene, welcome. Um, you are so well known in the public health community, and so under-recognized, undeservedly so, with the broader public for the critical role MPHA plays in sustaining and advancing public health in Massachusetts. So. Thank you and congratulations. Um, in terms of where we are, in terms of an appreciation of public health though, just to give a little different spin on it, uh, last Monday, February 21st, we saw on the front page of the Boston Globe, a story about local public health leaders resigning their jobs across the state because of burnout. And in the face of severe and personal negative attacks by people within their own communities, we've seen this story a lot across the whole nation, though less so in Massachusetts. So how big of an issue and a problem do you perceive this to be here in Massachusetts of a backlash against public health as opposed to renewed appreciation? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I mean, in some ways, the first thing to say is that any threats and intimidation of local public health staff and volunteers is a big problem, 
right? So even if it were a single instance, it would be a big problem, but you're right. We're seeing more than that. There have been many instances and I think in some ways they're growing. And I want to say a little bit about why I think that is. It's partly because the state's our state's administration, our state government has repeatedly made decisions about pushing decision-making down to the locals. So um, they've made decisions about masking requirements, those being pushed down to the locals, about vaccination requirements, those being pushed down to the locals, and soon to come school masking requirements, pushing those down to the locals. So both local public health and municipal officials are needing to to create, to make those policy decisions. And by doing this, it's created a situation where not only are we seeing a patchwork of different rules in different communities in the state, which is confusing for the public and also less effective for the public health protections. But it also means that the decisions are getting pushed onto the backs of local public health staff who are then the folks who are being harassed and even threatened. And so that's really unacceptable. I just, I feel like I need to remind people that local public health staff have been working tirelessly, really heroically during the pandemic. They've been the ones who are keeping their communities safe through things like monitoring isolation and quarantine, if you all remember that at the beginning of the pandemic in the early days, helping businesses to understand what at the beginning of the pandemic was pretty constantly changing rules as we learned more about coronavirus and rules were changing and and it was the local public health folks who were helping businesses and individuals to understand and be in compliance with the requirements for the from the state. They conducted contact tracing, they have run vaccination and testing clinics clinics. It's just, they have been at the forefront of keeping residents safe. And it's really hard for me to like even find the words to express the sadness and outrage that I think we should all be feeling at their mistreatment. And at the same time, I want to say that the people who have been behaving this way so badly with threats and intimidation are really a small but organized minority of people. And in some ways they're using the pretext of public health for what's a larger hostile agenda. And I think that it's important that all of us, both those of us who are talking right now on this podcast and the press in general, and the larger um, public conversation about it, really understand that this is a minority and not the larger public sentiment. The majority of Americans, let alone Massachusetts residents, do support common sense public health protections. And we right now need our state leaders to use their bully pulpit to categorically denounce the attacks on local public health. So just to follow up on that, a brief follow-up, but so are you suggesting you think that some of the decisions that landed in the laps of local public health should more appropriately have been addressed statewide by folks in the state house, like the governor and people around him and legislative leaders. Is that is that what you're saying? And do you have an example of one that you think really that really should have been a statewide decision rather than throwing that hot potato onto the poor local public health people? I do think that we've um, and uh, some of the examples of that I think are the masking mandate. Uh, you know the masking requirements. We masking is a um, low threshold 
strategy that we have seen in studies proven to reduce the trans transmission rates of COVID. And um, pushing that decision now, not only for indoor masking requirements, but um, school masking protections, pushing that onto local school authority is again, pushing the, um, the risk from hostile backlash down to the community level rather than taking responsibility for that at the statewide level. And, um, and it, it seems misplaced when it also simultaneously creates both confusion and um, um, this patchwork approach then to uh, public health protections that work best when they are across the board rather than change community to let community me, to community. Let, let me then take that you know, one point further because as you say, these things are pushed out in our state that, that actually means being pushed out to 351 towns and cities you know, to, to make decisions uh, or sadly to be the places where, uh, whether it's political culture wars or pure isms like anti-Semitism like happened in Salem, you know, play out. But let me ask you the, 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 the more broader question about local public health, because we are one of the few states where every city and town has its own local board of health with huge variation in terms of capacity and performance, you know, as you, one might imagine. Other states rely on counties often to do the job or, or you know, large cities. Does the Mass Public Health Association favor the current structure of moving to some sort of a different kind of regional or, or county authority or, or setup for organizing public health rather than the 351 towns and cities? So Paul, the, the fixing the problems in our local public health system is one of MPHA's highest priorities and has been for mm, like 20 years. <laughs> um, it, it just has been right there at the top of our policy agenda. So I'm going to add a little bit of context to what you've already um, given folks. You are right that each of our 351 cities and towns has a local board of health. That's more than any other state in the country. Huge states like California and Texas have fewer local public health um, authorities than Massachusetts does because of the way things are structured. And each of those local boards of health has responsibility for just what's an enormous range of public health services from infectious disease, like the kinds of things that we've witnessed during the pandemic, but also things like restaurant and, and pool inspections, water, and water well, septic system siting, addressing environmental house hazards, housing safety, insect-borne diseases, substance use disorder, chronic disease prevention, that whole range of public health services is the responsibility of each of these individual local boards of health. So, it, and that's true whether it's like the smallest community in Massachusetts or our largest cities. It's a system that it's fractured, it's inefficient, it's almost always ineffective, but it is always inequitable. So some people in Massachusetts have access to excellent public health services and others do not. So in 
2019, there was a legislative committee on local and regional public health that put out a blueprint for action to fix this problem. And um, the Massachusetts Public Health Association and our allies in a, in a coalition called the Coalition for Local Public Health have been working since that time to pass and implement the recommendations of that commission. We just recently worked to assure funding from the federal um, American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA, mm -hmm. go towards improving the local public health system in Massachusetts. And we're now working with our legislative allies to pass legislation called the Statewide Accelerated Public Health for Every Community, what we call the SAFE 2.0 Act. It's an acronym for SAFE 2.0 Act. And that this bill would incentivize shared services. In other words, communities coming together to share public health staff and services across town lines and would create standards for local public health staff. Um, believe it or not, local pub there are no standards or education credentials for local public health staff in across Massachusetts. So that policy piece, that piece of legislation combined with what's $200 million that's now available through that ARPA funding that I mentioned, really does have the potential to transform our local public health system. It's, it's exciting. Are you anticipating any communities that are going to jump to grab this early on, or is it still getting sorted out? Um, so the, if you're speaking about the $200 million in ARPA funding, that hasn't yet hit the streets, that hasn't yet been released. But a couple of years ago, um, again, through the advocacy efforts of the Coalition for Local Public Health, the legislature did, for the first time, create a line item in our state budget for local public health. Prior to that time, local public health had only received funding through municipal budget allocation. Um, but there is now a line call, um, that supports local public health. It's very small and it is, um, the funding goes out through competitive grants. So, so communities have to have um, the wherewithal to even apply to the state for funding. But if they do come together, it, the, the way in which the funding is structured is that it incentivizes communities to share services. So to come together in, um, in smaller regions, but uh, coalitions and um, partnerships at the local level to share public health resources and public health services that are already beginning to improve local public health and to improve equity in communities across Massachusetts. There's a current round of that funding going out. And by the time that that is released by the Department of Public Health, more than 270 of our cities and towns will have received some amount of state funding to begin to improve local public health services. Okay, so MPHA represents the broad public health agenda for the mm -hmm. whole state. Everything, everything fits under the MPHA agenda in one way or another. This this year, it's a short year in terms of the legislature. They turn into a pumpkin at the end of July. Um, what are you trying to get done? What are MPHA's big needs, priorities that you're pushing to try to achieve in the legislature this year, if you could share those? 
Yeah, I'd love to. We, well, in addition to passing the Safe 2.0 bill, right? So that is our highest priority is getting that bill passed. It's currently sitting in healthcare financing and we expect it to move out. It, it had earlier um, this session, it was reported out favorably by the um, Joint Committee on Public Health. We're also, um, we have a couple other legislative priorities, um, many of which may not be thought about by all of your listeners as health issues um, because they are things on which our health depends. So, so things like, does a person have a safe place to live? Do we have healthy food to eat? Do we have public transportation that get, can get us to our work or to a medical appointment or to school? Do we have clean air to breathe or water to drink? Because if the answer to any of those questions is no, then it's pretty impossible to be healthy. And the reason I just went through that is because those are the issues that really in many ways shape MPHA's policy agenda. We are right now really active in the uh, work to pass the COVID-19 housing equity bill, as well as the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act, which is called TOPA, another great acronym. Um, and MPHA has also just endorsed bills related to rent stabilization so that um, we can return to a situation where community by community, they can determine whether having rent stabilization um, in their community is good for for them at the community level. We're also gonna be focusing at um, a lot of energy on regional transit authorities, supporting public transportation outside of the MBTA service area. And we're also going to continue to work on the Massachusetts Food Trust Program. It's a program that provides grants um, and low interest loans as well to support healthy food retail in communities where it doesn't currently exist. And we wanna make sure that that program has the resources that it needs. I wanna say one other thing that's on our policy agenda, though not necessarily our legislative agenda, which has to do with work that we're doing with the Vaccine Equity Now Coalition. This is a group of civil rights and racial justice, immigrant rights and public health leaders that are continuing to call on the administration to address inequities in vaccination in this state. There are a variety of strategies and that coalition is unfortunately still really needed because we are still seeing those kind of inequities in the vaccination rollout. And um, MPHA is gonna to continue to be um, doing that policy work as well. Now, Carlene, in just about every uh, answer you gave to one of our questions, the, the word equity has come up or, or, or health equity, appropriately so, you know, and uh, we know how much advancing equity if you noted, you know, is high on your agenda. Um, but, but given all the challenges there, given all the inequities that exist, uh, if you had some priority areas of what needs to be focused on or, or you know, opportunity for change most that MPHA is, is you know, directly gonna try to advance your work on, what would it be in that, in that realm? Yeah, so, so this is, Paul, thanks for asking this question, because I, you're right that equity is built into like that whole, the litany of le legislation that we're working on and our policy priorities. Equity is a fundamental piece of all of those. And the reason that it is so is because for quite a number of years, MPHA has used an actual framework. We call it the health equity policy framework, where we, when we think about 
what legislation we're going to endorse or what policies are going to become our priorities, we literally run through a series of questions that has equity at its heart about whether they um, whether the issue is one that will promote equity, what are the potential unintended consequences of it, and at its heart, have those who are most impacted by the issue been part of the development of the policy solution that's being suggested. And to me, that is in many ways, that is the fundamental question about whether we are going to make good on our claims of, of supporting health equity. And I mean that for MPHA, I also mean it for all of the rest of the health and public health world where the conversation about health equity has become just like a, almost a term of art. It's just something that everybody feels like they need to say those words, but are they real and are they going to really speak to fundamental change both in how we are doing a work, our work and what we achieve with our work? So for MPHA, what that has meant is a re-examination of our relationships and are we, do we have relationships of trust with communities of color and with low-income communities so that we can follow their lead about what's needed rather than naming what MPHA might think is needed with our you know, so-called expertise. It means identifying what are often called non-traditional partners, but which that's really a, almost a coded way of saying partnering with those who are traditionally left out of policy conversations, whose voices don't always make it into policymaking spaces. It means MPHA using whatever voice that we have with those who are in power to further break down the walls for those who don't have access to power. So, so to make our commitment to health equity real, um, we're, we are really, trying to lean into listening to the voices of those who are most impacted by oppression as we develop our both our policy agenda and our strategies for achieving those policies. You know, our, 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 our listeners, having heard what you said, probably nodding their head saying, you know, makes a lot of sense for a public health organization when we really think about it to get into those issues. But they also might wonder, you know, most of the spending goes on the healthcare side, not the public health side. Do equity issues that are either present or caused by the way our healthcare system operates, is that something that MPHA thinks a lot about or spends some time on or not? Yeah, so um, Paul, as you know, we do have work in what, as we talk about it in MPHA, we talk about our work trying to move healthcare upstream. And what we mean by that at MPHA is that um, healthcare, the clinical care that, um, that fortunately through um, the ACA, many Americans and almost all Massachusetts residents have access to is, um, is not what keeps us healthy, right? It is, it's, it's critically important um, to have that access to care. That's a social justice issue. But what keeps us healthy are those conditions I was talking about before. It's like access to healthy food. It's, it's access to public good, 
public transportation, it's housing stability, it's environmental justice. Those are the things that keep us healthy. And so we are, there are a number of strategies for help for moving the healthcare system upstream that MPHA is really actively involved in. We work, um, we work with healthcare to try to um, promote them addressing health-related social needs. So screening people who come in for services for housing needs and for healthy food needs and for transportation needs and finding avenues to provide those health-related social needs. We also work, try to work with healthcare and advocate with healthcare to use their tremendously powerful voice in this state to support the kinds of policies that we've been talking about to support housing equity policies, whether it's uh, production of housing or tenant protection um, legislation. We work with um, healthcare to think about how they operate as employers and um, and purchasers, right? Because healthcare are healthcare is the largest employer in the state, and it's also a huge not for profit, but a huge business in the state. And so when they use their purchasing purchasing power in ways that promote equity, and when they make um, when they use their status as an employer in ways that promote equity, that has an outsized impact on the climate in Massachusetts for greater health equity. So there are all kinds of strategies with working for the healthcare system that MPH MPHA and our allies in what's called the Alliance for Community Health Integration. It's another great public health acronym, ACHI, um, that we are using to try to, again, move the needle on health equity. Okay, Carlene, one last question from us. Sure. And thank you so much for your time. This has been really excellent and revealing and very helpful. Um, so a lot of people, when they think about prevention, that's at the core of public health. Right. And for years and years, when we talked about prevention, we were talking about preventing people from starting smoking or getting them to, to drop it, uh, trying to decrease the growth in obesity, uh, dealing with alcohol consumption. What has happened to the prevention agenda in the state? Has it gotten morphed into the equity agenda? Does it still stand there in a way that is recognizable. Um, I, I confess I don't hear a lot these days about obesity in Massachusetts and the connections to chronic disease and healthcare costs and other kinds of things, and yet the impact is huge. What's happened to those issues? Um, they so they're still alive and well. So let me uh, let me talk a little bit about what. Um, you're, I think that you are raising an issue um, that is true, which is that a lot of the conversation has um, the larger public conversation amongst public health folks has moved to um, root causes and social determinants of health, right? And really trying to get at those structural conditions that are creating the inequities in, um, in the health conditions that you are mentioning. And there is also still quite a bit of work happening, programs and interventions that are slightly more downstream, but that are focused specifically on each of those issues in their own right. Um, and there's evidence-based work that's happening in those, in those areas to address 
obesity through promotion of physical activity and healthy nutrition. Um, the Mass in Motion program at the Department of Public Health is alive and well and is continuing to fund communities across the Commonwealth to look specifically at those issues to, again, to promote physical activity and healthy nutrition through thinking about changes in the policy environment and in the systems environment um, to make those kinds of changes. The Massachusetts Tobacco Control Program continues to be a shining light and to innovate and expand their work with strategies to address youth, youth tobacco use and the retail environment, which is a critical strategy for preventing um, tobacco use, whether it's smoking or other kind, you know, vaping or other kinds of um, tobacco, particularly the marketing targeted at youth and flavored tobacco, you know, the, the, the use of flavored tobacco as a strategy for youth initiation that the big tobacco companies um, may be continuing to use. Um, and there's also, I just want to call out some really strong evidence-based initiatives to prevent older adult falls, which is a huge public health issue um, that are being promoted by the Massachusetts Commission on Falls Prevention, as well as the Executive Office of Elder Affairs. Um, so there is that kind of um, of promotion, uh, health promotion and disease prevention work happening at the state level. And what's what is really um, beginning to move that work forward and and I think the innovative part of that work that's happening in Massachusetts is when it is connected to the health equity issues, when you can really see the um, the the way in which racism and poverty and ageism and homophobia and uh, transphobia impact those health issues and develop strategies that address those issues and begin to break down the inequities in the and the outcomes are on those disease conditions, then we have have really made some strides in that kind of um, in that kind of intervention work. Thanks so much, Carlene. Paul? Carly, we so appreciate uh, your coming on today and, and our listeners hopefully getting to learn both about the Mass Public Health Association, but importantly about you and what leadership you, you brought. And we look forward to having you and some of your colleagues out in the field uh, in discussion with us going forward. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was really, a, what a pleasure to talk to both of you. Thank you. <laughs>